Talking Illinois High School Football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening, for downloading, for subscribing. Our numbers keep growing every week. Our Twitter following keeps getting bigger. We love it. We love to be a part of the high school football community on the northwestern side of the state of Illinois. Of course, View from the West, we're covering high school football from the Western Big Six, the Lincoln Trail Conference, the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, and the Northwest Upstate Illini. We had some huge games in the NUIC. So we're going we're gonna to switch it up this week, and that's where we're starting. We're starting with some small school football. Mitch will be in a little bit later to join me to run through everything else. But for this week, if we're talking NUIC football, we're talking maybe the game of the year at any level in our area. We're talking to Kyle Campmeyer from NUICfootball.com. Kyle, what a week of football. Thank you so much for being here to break it all down. Oh, man, thank you. It was an awesome week of football. Obviously, we saw some big games across the, the NUIC, across small school landscape all together, and uh, it really shifted some things as we take a look at the playoff picture coming up, too. Yeah, things are getting really interesting. We got to start in the NUIC. I think everybody knows where we're going next year. If we're starting in the NUIC, we're starting in the game of the year, Dupec versus Lena Winslow. Dupec going on the road to Lena Winslow. I think you phrased it best, and you said the old guard versus the new up and comer. That's the I wanted like the uh, the NBC Sports like you know hype video surrounding those texts because that you nailed it. That was what it was. It, and it is. I mean, you take a look and when you talk Class One A football and you talk NUIC. Lena Winslow's been in the forefront of that conversation all the way back to 2006. So I mean, they're, they're they've really built that program up, um, and we've talked about it numerous times in the past. And when you take a look at where they've been just since 2009, moving forward. They have been the talk of the conference. Everybody pins that game on their calendar as a must-win game or a big game in their eyes. And with Dupec just forming their co-op here a couple of years ago, they're in, uh, what, season five now? Um, they want to show everybody that they're not just some make-believe team that came out of nowhere. They want to prove it. And uh, Friday night, they did just that. So before we jump into the game, Kyle, you were there. You were walking the sidelines. Just tell me about the atmosphere and just walking in. I saw some uh, highlights out of Rockford, and they scanned the entire crowd, all 100 yards, and that place was packed. I mean, that's that's what you live for. That's the Friday night you just you love to go to. Uh, it was awesome. So I, I actually left my house about quarter after five uh, Friday, uh, which is earlier than I normally leave. And partly it was due to the fact that I wanted to be there to be able to get a parking spot where I wanted to park. Um, but when I pulled into Lena and it only, it only takes me about 25, 30 minutes to get Lena from my house. And when I pulled in there, the entire park where the baseball diamond is off to the side of the football field was packed. The junior high lots were starting to fill in. The high school lot was about packed. People were everywhere. I mean, the atmosphere was electric and it had that vibe of a late round playoff game. 
Yeah, I love that. You, you know that buzz when you feel it. You know you, that energy when you walk into a, into a stadium, into a Friday night atmosphere like that. So Dupec gets the big win. They get the statement win, the win that this program, I think, really pushes them to the next level. They get the win 30-24. But man, it, it, you know, it looked like it was going to be a lot easier than that in the beginning. They built a big lead. Kyle, tell me about kind of how this game started. Well, really, it started off with Dupec getting the ball, and um, right off the bat, they hit a pass play to Trent, or uh, yeah, they hit a pass play to Trent Headland that uh, moved the ball forward. Um, they were able to get a little bit of running going, and Lena Winslow actually put up a stop and uh, had pushed Dupec back, but then. Hoffman connected with Hetland again for that 38 yard score. And then Trenton Taylor went into a wild wildcat formation for the two point conversion to get the early eight to nothing lead. Uh, not just three minutes into the first quarter. Um, when they turned around on defense, they just met Lena Winslow's intensity and just shut that run game down. Held them to that 11 yards. They were able to force the punt. When they got the ball back, they went on the drive again. They capitalized that drive going 73 yards. Uh, they capped it off with the touchdown pass from Hoffman to Bo Seaton. Uh, they missed a two-point conversion, but that was able to give them a 14-0 lead uh, right at the beginning of the second quarter, which at that time – uh, being up two scores, you knew it was still a game. Lena Winslow still had opportunities to get back in it, but it's exactly what Dupac needed to put together in order to take control of the game. Um, there in the second quarter, they started to slug it out a little bit. We're able to exchange some punts, uh, but then with five minutes to go in the half, Dupac took over uh, at their own 14-yard line. Uh, they got a huge run by Trenton Taylor, which – push that uh, the ball into uh, Lena Winslow territory there. Again, they picked up some good pass plays uh, to Trent Hetland before Hoffman again connected with Bo Seaton for another uh, 12 yard touchdown connection. Uh, Taylor again added the two point conversion. And here now we're looking at a 22 to nothing lead with under a minute to go in the half. And you're like, wow, Dupac's going to go in with this huge lead. Well, on that, Conversion, there was a penalty that got assessed on the kickoff, gave Lena Winslow the ball at midfield. Um, wasn't quite too sure what was going on with the play calling. Lena Winslow had two timeouts, I believe, or at least a timeout, I know for sure. Um, they ran the ball a couple times with Mari Roby. We were able to get some things going there, uh, but it wasn't substantial enough. They got to the 31-yard line, and uh, it looked like Luke, ben Luke Benson was going to throw an interception. Bo Seaton was right there, and Brody Mann just came around, grabbed the ball basically right out of Seaton's hands and fell right into the end zone for a touchdown. And then Ethan Fye added the two-point conversion. And just like that, the time it expired, Lena Winslow scored to make it 22-8, to and they had all that momentum going into halftime. Isn't it crazy to think that they're still losing 22-8, but you got to imagine that there's such a shift in momentum. Sure, Dupec still feels pretty good going into the half, but man, not nearly as good as they did about two seconds ago or two minutes ago. You know, it's such a change. How big was that, do you think, to kind of spur on Lena Winslow? Not that they have no lack of confidence, but they certainly needed a spark and they got one. 
that spark was huge because the 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 fans just the Lena Winslow fans got into that game. It, the the place erupted when Lena Winslow scored that touchdown. You could see the excitement in the Lena Winslow players as well, um, knowing that they just got a big one right before the half. Plus, they were getting the ball to start the second half. So all they had to do was carry it over. And when they came out to start the second half, they were no longer receiving the punch. They were giving the punch back to Dupac. They're able to start getting things going on the ground more efficiently with Roby and with Phi, um, where they were able to um, drive down, pushed it down Dupac's throats a little bit, and then Roby punched it in for a touchdown. And then they got a big two-point conversion pass from Benson to Mann again uh, to cut that lead to 22-16. to 16. Um, And then they were able to get uh, um, Dupec to turn the ball over on downs on their next possession. Then they went on the offense again, were able to get it deep into Lena Winslow territory, but then they just shut them down and at their own 25 yard line. Then they just took over again, went 75 yards and, uh, and scored on a huge pass play from uh, Benson to Roby on a fourth and eight play. So Dupec had stopped them fourth and eight and they called a pass play and Roby caught the pass in the back of the end zone. And then Islers added the two point conversion, which gave uh, Lena Winslow the lead 24 to 22 with 1038 left in the game. That Roby catch was incredible. I mean, he was in a full sprint and his arms are stretched out as far as they could go. And man, it's hits him right in the fingertips. He gets two feet down and then runs out of bounds. He's lucky he wasn't in front of the goalpost because it could have been really bad. But, man, he yeah. was going full speed. It was an incredible play. Um, it was one of those plays that you, you tend to see Lena Winslow do in recent years. He kind of snuck out on a backside wheel route when they were going in a bootleg right, and nobody picked him up. He was wide open. That's, that's that type of, like, dynamic athleticism that you see from Roby and you see from some of these Lena Winslow athletes year in and year out. But man, to see him making plays like that, you know, as a receiver and to know what he can do in the backfield, man, you're going to be hearing his name in the next, uh, in the next few weeks, making some exciting plays in the playoffs. I'm positive of that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of things coming. This was not a bad loss by Lena Winslow, in my opinion, um, because these two teams have been battling back and forth with each other ever since they were in junior high at this age group. I mean, we saw it this past spring where uh, Lena Winslow survived Dupec with a 24 to 21 win. And now you have Dupec doing it the opposite way. Um, So these two teams have been going back and forth with each other for quite some time. So while it may look, new and, and, and appear like a shocking defeat for those that aren't familiar with the area. Um, overall, this was a huge game that everybody knew it was anybody's chance. And I mean, it went down like a classic heavyweight fight. Dupec was controlling the early rounds. Lena Wenzel came back in the later rounds to notch it up a bit. And uh, then it was a puncher's chance after that. 
Yeah. So when, uh, when did Dupec take the lead? And then um, I know that Lena Winslow had the ball back again, and it was a big play on defense that finally sealed the win for Dupec. Yep. So right after uh, Lena Winslow scored, Dupec was able to get the ball back. They started the drive at uh, their own 45 yard line. So they were able to return the kickoff to the 45. Um, and from there, they were able to uh, get the ball moving again. They picked up another big gain from Tre- uh, Trent Taylor. Uh, they were able to get some shuffle passes to Trent Hetler that moved the ball forward. Um, and then finally, it was capped off. They went back into that wildcat formation, and Taylor punched it in from a yard out. And then, again, he added another uh, two-point conversion to give them that 30-24 lead. And for Dupac to be able to respond like that after they'd driven the field, were stopped at the 25-yard line, gave up another touchdown that gave the lead to Lena Winslow, and then they answered that with their own 55-yard touchdown drive to take the lead. There was five and a half minutes left in the game when that happened. And uh, from there, um, uh, Lena Winslow was able to drive a little bit. Um, they, they started off with great field possession. They were at the Dupac 48-yard line, uh, were able to get to the 38. They called some plays that did not go in their favor on uh, some incomplete passes. Dupec was able to get the turnover on downs. They were trying to run out the clock. Lena Winslow had timeouts, were able to force the punt. And then Lena Winslow was able to get the ball back. Uh, A huge pass play again from Benson to uh, Mann was able to move the ball into Dupec territory. But then they tried to do another pass play on an out route to try to get towards the sidelines to Brady Islers. And that's when Trent Taylor cut in front of it for the interception to go into victory formation. Yeah, just a huge play, you know, a huge game-sealing interception for them. I think, you know, when I see the result, you know, 30-24 final, um, what I look at is the way the game played out, I think you got to give credit to this Dupec program because, man, it's human nature to think when Lena Winslow starts coming back, I think it's human nature to start thinking, here we go again. This team, they got our number, and they're coming back on us again after we have a huge lead. Credit to those players for fighting through it and believing. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I heard because at Lena Winslow, the fans sit on the same side. Yeah. And so I'm passing by Lena Winslow fans. I'm passing by Dupec fans. Of course, the Dupec fans were all up against the fence line. (laughs) And I'm sitting there hearing them talking. And they were sitting there saying, oh, my gosh, it's the spring game all over again. It's going to happen. Lena Winslow's going to. I mean, so they the self-doubt was definitely setting in with their own fan base as they watch Lena Winslow continue a battle back. Um, so to see the perseverance, the perseverance of them and the resiliency of them to come back and drive down after giving up a huge lead uh, says a lot to where the program has come from, from where they built up, you know, 2016 Duran and Pectonica were both 0 and 19s. They were talking about eight man football back then in both programs Tectonica wasn't too far removed from canceling their 2013 season. Um, so where this program has come from, uh, it's, it says a lot, in a, and they've done it very quickly. Yeah, looking uh, you know, at the way the, game, uh, the way the game played out, talk about Dupec's defense. Obviously, Lena Winslow adjusted and got points on the board, 
But early in this game, what was Dupek doing that was really slowing down Lena? What did you see or what impressed you out of Dupek? Well, I mean, it, I, I hate to say weather affected it because weather affects both teams. But, uh, you know, you could definitely see it early on where the wet field was definitely limiting the cutback opportunities that Lena Winslow really banks on, especially with the speed that Fi and Roby have. Um, the pressure up front was uh, very good uh, with Breon Green and um, uh, Jake Anderson getting some pressure up the middle and on the edges. I mean, Breon Green had a huge game uh, tackle to tackle there in the middle of the defense for Dupac, which really gave them a lot of push and it allowed their linebackers with uh, Drake Fortson and Caden Degner to just kind of roam around and make plays as well. So um, they definitely were able to seal off the edge. They were able to push Lena Winslow inside. And really, that's what it came down to. They did not allow the Panthers to get to that outside edge where they seemed to find a lot of success. On the offensive side of the ball, I think what's impressed me this year from the Rivermen is they seem balanced and they seem pretty high end on both sides. They can pass the ball effectively and they can run the ball now. We talked so much about Hunter Hoffman in the spring and he's still getting his, but man, there are some running backs doing some work. This is a balanced offense that I think pushes them just a little bit farther, gives them a little extra edge when we start talking postseason play. Well, and that's one of those critiques that I've noticed with Dupac this year. And I, you know, I've, I've brought it up a couple of times in different conversations where it almost looks like, you know, Yes, Dupac definitely has improved their line play to allow a much, much better run game. I mean, Trenton Taylor is, what, second or third in rushing in the conference right now? Um, and he put up another 107 yards on the ground uh, Friday night uh, to help boost his numbers there as well. Um, and that's not something you would see here in years past with the Rivermen. Yeah, we've known about Hunter Hoffman because he can – throw bullets all over the field all day long. And he had a tremendous receiving core in past years. Well, now every team in the area knows that Hunter's going to throw the ball. So they're playing him 10, 15 yards back. And he's still trying to, you know, kind of hit that deep route when the underneath routes open. And, you know, um, Friday night, he made that adjustment himself where they went more to that underneath route and that opened up a lot of things for them offensively and then with the respect that you have to give that pass game it has definitely opened up the draw play that allows uh taylor to get going up the middle so quickly yeah i've really been impressed with their offense and kind of what they've been able to do and you know like i said i don't know if it looked the exact same as it did last year but it's, be, it's very effective. And man, they're, they're playing great football on both sides of the ball. So, you know, congratulations to the Rivermen. This, like you've pointed out, this program has come a long way. And, um, you know, to get a win over a marquee program like Lena Winslow at Lena Winslow, I think is a huge testament to them. And like Mitch talked about, like you've referenced already here, this is a, this is a tough loss for Lena Winslow. But man, they're not, they're not going anywhere. This is, you know, this doesn't set that, this doesn't set them back. They're, they're still, they still may be the best team in the conference and Dupec got them that one night, you know, Dupec is certainly now in the driver's seat to claim the conference championship, 
both these teams can, can make claim as being, you know, two of the best in the conference. Clearly, they've separated themselves. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, we, we know that in an area game that you cover, we have A-Town and Knoxville coming up. And A-Town is the, is the last remaining undefeated team in Class 1A, most likely to come north. I personally don't anticipate A-Town winning that game with Knoxville. Yep. And, I mean, if, if they do pull it off, to me, that's going to be an upset and, and great job by the Tornadoes if they can get past the Blue Bullets on that one. But – this win does not remove Lena Winslow from potentially being still the number one seed in the North bracket when the playoffs come out. So it really has not hurt Lena Winslow at all when you take a look at their place in the playoff bracket. Yep, that's a great point. And before we move along, plenty of other games to talk about here. Before we move along, I think we have to mention, we have to reference that just because Dupec is a 3A school, that doesn't mean that they just, well, they're going to roll in and beat a 1A team. Of course they will, because they're bigger enrollment. Come on, Kyle. Can we get past that? That's that's ridiculous. I, I know. It's one of the things I've been battling over the fact. Ever since we started this, it's one of those uh, talking points that I've been battling against. I mean, we saw it right from the get-go in 2016 when we began NUICfootball.com and forced and played St. Teresa in the state championship game. St. Teresa without the way or with the waiver would have been a class three, a team. And here they come into class one, a, they get beat by forced and by a big score, by the way. And, um, you know, we, and, and then we continue to see it over the years. I mean, we see Athens compete with Williamsville and Moreau Forsyth every single year. We we've seen uh, Tuscola's, play with bigger schools over the years. Um, It's just, to me, the whole talk of, well, they're 3A, they should win, is is a cop-out argument. Uh, It's just something that either you're good or you're not good, and it's that simple. Um, I've seen schools, Stockton, for instance, has an under 200 enrollment, and they regularly roll out 50 to 60 players every year yep. there's a lot of 2a schools that have problems putting 40 guys on the on our on a roster so um yeah it, it, it doesn't really come down to the enrollment it comes down to either you have a program or you don't have a program well dupec certainly has a program how about that lena winslow also they, they have a pretty strong program as well let's move along kyle the other big game the score that stuck out to everybody Fulton gets the win 24-14 over Forreston. I don't know. I don't know if you go as far as to call this an upset, but I think that with two losses, even though they were two, Dupec and Lena Winslow, the two teams we've just been talking about, I think Fulton with two losses was kind of, you know, they were not off the radar, but they weren't in the top, top conversation. Forreston, on the other hand, has been rolling off victories they were the team that I think had the publicity coming in because they had won four straight, but man, Fulton looked really impressive in this one. They come away with the 24, 14 win. They really slowed down this forest and running game that we've talked a lot about. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at um, this matchup and it, it's a huge game for sure. Um, Fulton, I would agree with you was probably not, looked at as the favorite coming into this game uh, simply because of how hot Forreston has been playing. 
I and when you start to stargaze at scoreboard material, you see where Fulton beat Galena by one point back in week one. And we just saw Forreston railroad Galena by 32 points here just a week ago. So that uh, really makes you, wow, you know, Forreston's got everything going. Um, obviously, the media around the state had Forreston ranked up here in the top five. They jumped way up, yeah. Jumped way up and Fulton fell way out. And it's like, whoa, hold on, guys. Do you guys not look at who they played? Like, their two losses are significant, but they're to two really good teams. But then you start to look at Fulton versus Dupac. That was a much closer game. I mean, Dupac always had control of that game, but that was a much closer game than what Dupac and Forreston were. So to me, is it an upset no, but when you look at it on the papers, as far as how everything was going, uh, I don't think people gave Fulton much of a chance in this game. Um, I'll be honest, I had Fulton losing this game in my projections, but now it just gives us more to talk about as it shakes up what the playoff outlook will look like for both these two teams as well. Yeah, like I said in the beginning of this, I was really impressed with Fulton being able to slow down Forreston they held a three-point lead for most of the second half and just really limited what Forreston could do offensively. And that was the difference in this game. Uh, they were actually, Fulton was actually without their starting quarterback. Uh, Patrick Lower, who has uh, played pretty well for them, was out. So hopefully, you know, he gets back sooner than later. But man, uh, Braden Dykstra stepped in and looked good. He, you know, he looked the part and played really well. Uh, Brock Mason came up big with two receiving touchdowns. And then Ethan uh, Van Campen had, I believe, 96 yards. So, you know, the names that you expect, but then Dykstra to step in there and keep things moving. That, that's an impressive win for Fulton. And I think it bodes well for them moving into the you know playoff picture. Well, and when I was in Lena Friday night, you know, one of the one of the statisticians for Lena Wenzel kept uh, talking to me, asking me about the score of Forrest and Fulton and what my thoughts were on that, on that matchup. And I had, I had made the statement that, you know, without lower at quarterback, they were missing damn off as well. I was like, I don't know. I just, I think Forreston's going to roll them. They just don't have the right pieces put together, but you can't count out Jake Jones and Keegan Van Camp and they've been doing it all season long for the steamers and then in that passing game, you add in Brock Mason as well. Um, and, and Jake Jones was on a lot of the receiving end of, of those passes too. And, and it just shows you the type of ability that Coach Lower has to be able to change and mix and match pieces to get his machine to continue to work. And that's exactly what we saw here. Defensively, they shot Forrest and down. Uh, pretty much the exact same way that Dupac did. I mean, they held Forrest into 185 yards rushing. I think Dupac had Forrest in at 125 yards rushing when they played. So that's been the only two games this year. Forrest has not rushed for over 300 yards. So that's a significant impact when you take a rushing team like Forrest in that just wants to pound, 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 pound. And they do it with so many backs that you, it's hard to key in on. But uh I'm pretty sure that they probably looked at some film from that Dupac game to see how the Rivermen uh, were able to seal the edge and shut down uh, Forreston. And that's what it takes. You got to play that gap assignment and stay home type of defense in order to shut down a rushing attack like the Cardinals. 
Yeah, job well done by Fulton. And you, yes, Keegan Van Campen. I said Ethan. So it's a name we've said a lot, but apparently I didn't remember it well enough. So th- thank you, thank Kyle. You. you don't miss it. You never miss a thing. So you're all over it. You got me there. Um, yeah, and this game we talked about, you know, Lena Winslow going down to Dupac may not even affect them in the playoff hunt. They may still be that top seed. But on the flip side, this win was huge for Fulton looking at potential playoffs pairings. Oh, definitely huge for Fulton. I mean, they're basically right at that point where they, they just flipped projection spots with Forreston. They went from probably being on the road at six and three and being the nine seed uh, to definitely jumping up to at least the six seed and hosting a first round road game, provided that they went out the remaining part of their schedule um, and finished with a seven and two record. Likewise, Forreston now at six and three, could fall into that eight or nine seed. So they still have the opportunity to host a first round game, but they very well could have just lost that first round game and go on the road as well. And I tell you what, you start talking about Fulton and Forreston. I don't care where you're going to play them. I don't think I want to see either one of those teams. If I'm, if I'm a one, a school, I mean, there's potential for Fulton to be a two loss team and their losses are to Dupec and Lena Winslow. You talk about being battle tested. That's it. That's what you joined the NUIC for is is to be tested like that there they there's potential there for some you know good runs depending on who they run into which you know in 1a could end up being lena winslow again but uh you know there's some good football coming in the playoffs on this northern side of the state no shock there yeah the north bracket's definitely gonna have some interesting matchups i'm excited to see how it all breaks down i'm really excited to put my projections together just this week because you know, when we go into weeks eight and especially going into week nine, that playoff picture just gets much more clear. It becomes more accurate. And it's a lot of fun to start saying, hey, here's where we're at. This is where we're going to go. You can start pinning down potential opponents. So it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. Going through a few other scores in the Northwest Upstate Illini from the 11 man ranks, Galena gets the 20 to nothing win over Dakota. So that puts them at four wins. So they have Dupec and East Dubuque left. So Galeno now sitting at four and three, hoping to get one more to get that fifth win. Um, you also had East Dubuque gets the win 50 to 15 over Eastland Pearl City. Kyle, when we look at Galena with a potential five wins, it makes me think about um, the, fo- the potential for a four and five team to get in the playoffs. Do you have, um, have you looked ahead do you see 1A or smaller school teams getting in at four and five potentially? Um, right now, the best bet for 1A football teams to get in at four and five would be Tuscola, provided that they can come back from their COVID protocols this, these past two weeks and they have to win weeks eight and nine in order yeah. to do. Um, some of these other schools, though, unless COVID rears its head in some of these other programs, I don't think they're going to have enough playoff points to quite make it. I'm right now I'm looking at, you got to be over 30 playoff points going into week seven and you're going to have to come in with anywhere from 50 to 53 playoff points to make it into the playoffs as a four and five. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of those Chicago Catholic league schools that we're looking at such as uh, a Bishop McNamara, um, 
potentially a Montini, although Montini's going to have a hard road ahead of them as well. Those schools have those playoff points. They have the schedules against powerhouse programs that have the wins that build up those playoff points to make it happen. So um, I just, I don't see any of our area teams getting in at four and five unless something drastic really rears its head here in the last two weeks. All right. Sounds good. Uh, the last score, a uh, Saturday game, Stockton goes on the road in a non-conference win over Fieldcrest, 63-6. to Kyle, I mean, Stockton has shown some things this year, but they've struggled a little bit too. But man, this one's got to feel good to go on the road. I know Fieldcrest is struggling, but in years past, this is a good Fieldcrest program. You go on the road to a bigger school and you just route them. I mean, that, that's a nice win for Stockton. It, it, it's a huge momentum win for Stockton. I mean, and, and it's kind of funny. It goes back to what we were just talking about earlier with small schools, 1A, 2A versus 3A schools, whatnot. I mean, this is Stockton going up against a Fieldcrest team that when the last time we had playoffs, Fieldcrest was in the 2A semifinals. This yeah. past spring, they had a Winnebago team that plays in the big Northern Conference against 3A, 4A teams. So um, there's there, there's just more points to make that it doesn't matter what your classification is. You just got to show up and play the game. And uh, Stockton did that. Uh, and uh, very excitedly. So, I mean, it's unfortunate to see Fieldcrest in the state that they're in. Obviously we all know that they, uh, their coach, coach Neiman left uh, and went to the Calb. And so now they're under a new coach. And obviously with uh, COVID, a lot of schools have had issues getting players to come back out um, or other items to that effect um and and overall the heart of illinois conference in itself we've seen quite a drop off outside of uh outside of probably tri-valley the rest of the teams have kind of fallen off from what we're used to seeing over the past few years in that conference so um hopefully all those teams can get some good bounce back wins but uh yeah hats off to coach lightson and the blackhawks just going in there and taking care of business and getting that big win yeah, that, that was impressive. That really stuck out to me when I was uh, scanning Twitter on Saturday afternoon. Hey, how, how about we jump into the eight-man ranks real quick here, talking some eight-man NUIC football. And man, we've said it for the last three or four weeks, this eight-man division is going to be exciting to watch from a Northwest Upstate Illini perspective because these teams look really good. And Kyle, is there any team right now that's hotter than Milledgeville? Uh, not that I can think of, Yeah, no. yeah. Obviously, you know, you take a look at Milledgeville's two closest games. They were both two NUIC opponents. They lost to Polo in week one, 40 to 38. They beat Amboy in week two, 24 to 12. Um, outside of that, it has been a rocking time in Milledgeville. And they're, they're putting up yards in any which way possible. Um, and I think it's it really shows to what coach Robel has done with him and his staff there at Milledgeville. Obviously you take a look at that week one loss to polo. A lot of people are like, well, you know, polo it's polo. They're defending state champs. Well, you got to remember that was also Milledgeville's very first eight man game ever. You got the right staff in place with coach Robo and his guys that they are starting to make those adjustments probably faster than a lot of other schools. And they're really grasping the eight man concepts. 
And they're taking a lot of things from 11-man football that they utilize and rolling them over into eight-man. I mean, you're seeing a lot of play-action fakes. You're seeing a lot of QB keepers. Um, and they're just they're, they're running a lot of bootlegs, getting Connor and I out into the open field on that bootleg. So he can either A, find an open receiver, or B, take off. Um, and then they're just able to run the ball as well. And um, they're getting – a lot of success doing that. They're not a very big team, but they are extremely fast. And that, that speed is showing its its course uh, in the eight-man game. Yeah, well, you pointed out the great point. I think that when Milledgeville lost in week one, then it was like, well, they got a loss in their schedule. And you kind of, you know, not forgot about them. But, you know, everybody was talking about Orangeville and Polo and Aquin. And it was like, well, Millsville's still here, and they only lost by two to Polo. And now, you know, coming away with the big win this week over Aquin, the final score, it was 48-28. Uh, other scores, Orangeville, huge win. They still look good, 70-8 to over River Ridge. Polo, 50 to nothing over Peoria Heights. So all these teams, they're just, you know, they're setting themselves up for really good success in the eight-man postseason. And I was very happy that you corrected me that they don't separate the state. They just go one through 16. That's great for these schools. So hopefully we can get an NUIC, uh, you know, Super Bowl in the state championship, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Um, it would be cool to see an all NUIC uh, state championship game when we hit Monmouth College here in November for that. But there are some uh, really impressive teams that, um, had some early season losses either due to COVID numbers, due to injuries that kind of got overlooked. And um, I wouldn't count those teams out yet. I mean, St. Thomas Moore has a heck of a team there. Um, we know Decatur Lutheran's got a really tough team. West Central's finally back to full health. Their two losses are both to NUIC opponents, Amboy and Aquin but they were missing four to five starters in both those games. So um, now that they're fully healthy, it's going to be exciting to see what West Central can do as they hit the playoffs. Yeah, that was a team that was very hyped coming into the year, and you saw their tough losses. But, yeah, I think the more you know about their injuries makes you wonder if they could get back to full strength, what they could do. I love it. It's going to be a lot of fun. The eight-man ranks, I think, is going to be really fun football to follow over the next month and a half or so. Well, Kyle, that kind of wraps it up. But before I let you go, let's let's break the big news here. Let's roll out the big announcement. October 23rd, let people know where they need to be and what they need to be watching. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, October 23rd, we're going to do our playoff show. Uh, we're going to start at 7 o'clock. We're going to go through probable matchups that we see between 8-man through Class 3A break down some of those uh, matchups a little bit. Um, then we're going to roll out what the actual uh, playoff brackets are as they get released. And then we're going to go through and start talking about what those real matchups are going to look like and kind of how we see that playing out. We got a good host of characters coming along, yourself included. <laughs> um, I have one of our uh, co-founders, uh, Shane Cleaver, joining us, former Orangeville head coach, uh, Jay Doyle is going to be with us. And then we got our three river super fan, uh, Greg Pruis joining us as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of different concepts 
uh, to talk about different areas of coverage. And uh, I actually, I talked to Greg Pruis this morning. We're already tapping into our friends out on the east side and the southeast side of the state to get more information. So we actually have a lot of credibility in uh, our playoff show and what we present. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people tend to join in across the state. We've noticed that. Uh, it's the YouTube live video, so it's YouTube live. Uh, well, it'll be YouTube.com with the backslash NUIC football, uh, and we'll get it put out there. We'll copy uh, View from the West on it as well. That way uh, we can get as much promotion behind it as we can. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I appreciate the invite. I'm really excited to get out there and kind of break down the playoff pairings you know, live as they're being announced and, uh, you know, some, some fun banter with you guys and it'll, it'll be a good time for sure. So like everybody, you know, let everybody know October 23rd, that's the night of the playoff pairings, seven o'clock on YouTube NUIC football. We'll be going live. It's, it's, uh, I'm headed into the heart of the Northwest upstate Illini. Couldn't be more excited, man. Yeah, I'm excited. It's always a fun time getting a, a lot of different uh, topics going uh, and, and being able to put a group of people together that have uh, a lot of knowledge across different uh, platforms across the state is going to be great. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to transition to those listening who want to hear Western Big Six, Three Rivers, Lincoln Trail Conference. Me and Mitch are going to break it all down. I'm joined now by the usual suspect on View from the West pod, my co-host, Mitch Stormer. Mitch, we started with the NUIC, but me and you got to break down the Western Big Six, the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, and the Lincoln Trail. We both agreed that we should start in the NUIC because that Lee Win dupec game was the de facto conference championship. But when you look ahead at the rest of the conferences we're about to talk about, week eight features a de facto conference championship game for all three of them, for the Lincoln Trail, for the Three Rivers, and the Western Big Six. So there is a lot of great football coming up in week eight. Mitch, welcome back. Let's start in the Western Big Six. Sterling knocks off Rock Island 56-35. to This was a game that you watched on Friday night. So, you know, give me your impressions. What did you see in this one? Yeah, and – by, by no offense to either of these teams, but I was, I was planning on watching that, that Lena Winslow Dupac game, uh, seemingly some, some technical difficulties uh, at, at Lena with the equipment, or at least that's what the error message said. But, <laughs> but by, by default, yes, uh, this was the game that I watched this weekend. It was certainly a big game, not, not to take anything away from this game uh, itself, because it, it was a very important game uh, for both teams. Uh, obviously, Sterling... Um, with that matchup coming up that we'll talk about with Moline, it was their kind of real one big test before their, you know, their, their main objective in, in winning their, the conference title uh, and for Rocky as they try and get that fifth win. So this was a really important game and I'm really glad that I watched it. Yeah. Well, let's start breaking down a little bit of the game action here. Quintarian Brooks takes the opening kickoff 87 yards for a touchdown. Mitch, he almost broke a huge gainer on the opening kickoff against Galesburg a week ago, yeah. man, this kid is a weapon on the offensive side of the ball, but in special teams as well, he can really flip a field for rock Island. So they're immediately on the board, but then man, immediately it becomes Sterling's ball game. They yep. score touchdowns on five of their next six drives all on the ground. So that ground attack from Sterling, just punishing rock Island, rock Island had two fumbles that led to 14 points for Sterling before halftime. 
at the break, the Golden Warriors had 261 yards on the ground, 157 of them coming from junior running back Antonio Tablante. That's a name we've called out week in, week out. That kid continues to get the job done. He's going to be a key piece next week and looking down the road for this team if they want to have success in the playoffs. Rock Island would get two touchdowns from Xavier George and then one from Marion Anderson. That would cut the score to 48-35 in the fourth quarter, but that's as close as the Rocks would get. Sterling finishes off the game 401 yards rushing, 210 from Tablante. So just a great effort from the Golden Warriors. Marion Anderson, who I just referenced, the senior receiver had three touchdowns on six catches, 69 yards. Two of the three touchdowns were 20 plus yards out. So he also is a weapon for that Rock Island team. Get this, Mitch. Sterling has not lost a conference road game since joining the Big Six. So they continue to get the job done on the road, especially in this case. But it really sets themselves up next week for a big matchup against Moline. Mitch, in watching the game, what did you see from Sterling? What impressed you? Yeah, uh, like you referenced, they, they scored on five of their first six drives. And really, it was by committee. Um, obviously, Antonio Tablante, uh deservedly so got a lot of the, the credit and got most of the stats because he really looked, really looked good in the first half. But, you know, and I could be misremembering some of the games that they've played this year, but they almost seem like they're at full strength. Right. And that's, that's ironic. Cause I'll get to that in a second. But um, when you have Drew Kested, when you have AJ Kested, when you have Carter Ryan and you have Antonio Tablante all kind of firing, they really were in this first half. Cause I think they had, I think it was 41, 21 at half. So um, you saw that golden warrior offense can do when they do have all those key players working. Now, when they, when they came up for the second half, that kind of all went away just little by little. Tablante didn't come out uh, in the first series. And, uh, you know, the, the Jim Spencer and the boys didn't really speculate as to why. It seemed like he might have been nursing a, an ankle injury. Uh, maybe they were just saving him. Um, but he had to come back into, into the game because of injuries to some of the other uh, players on the Sterling roster. So I, I don't know if that was part of the plan or if this is how it worked out. But um, that would be one of my concerns as we go, as we look forward to this Moline game is, is how healthy will Sterling be again? I don't want to speculate. I don't want to make it seem like maybe they they were serious injuries because maybe they weren't. Um, but the other one to me, and maybe the bigger one is that I, I, I can't, I, I'm not remembering Sterling's schedule off the top of my head for the most part at the moment, but in watching this game, Rocky really exposed them a little bit. There were some holes in that Sterling defense. There was two uh, Marion Anderson touchdowns that were pretty identical. They were just post routes over the middle, and he was wide open. Um, you know, easy pitch and catch for Eli Reese. And so with the way Moline has been playing uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I'm sure they're going to take notes from this game. So, um, you know, the, a great win for Sterling. Nothing to, you know, um, they get that they get that sixth win. So they're they're. I don't think there's any question that they were going to go to the playoffs. But they do get that important sixth win. They do, you know, uh, get a big win. Not looking ahead to the Moline game, but my two concerns are: are they going to be at, at full strength going into that game, and can they shore up those holes on defense? Because Moline's a team that's really going to make you work on both sides of the field. Yeah, I think when you look back at their schedule um, in week one they beat Lake Villa 31 to nine. 
And that's a, a Lake Villa team that has gone on. They're now at four and two. I'm not sure what they did in this past week. So according to IHSA, they're now at four and two, but they've been putting up a lot of points. They lost to Lombard Montini, but they only gave up 17. And right. sure, you know, I mean, I don't know that you want to give them credit in a loss, but Montini's a great program who puts up a lot yep. of points. And for the most part, you kind of kept them in check for a lot of that game. From there, though, um, Galesburg, they gave up some points late, or they, sorry, they gave up some points early and then had to come back in that one. So they still got the job done. Alleman, Geneseo, and then I think the maybe the Quincy game, um, Alleman, Geneseo, they only gave up seven. That was seven to Alleman late in the game when that game was over. Geneseo, they blanked them. Quincy, they gave up 18. So their defense has been solid. Um, but I think that that Rocky offense is, you know, high powered and the Moline offense is certainly high powered. So these will be the tests. I mean, these last, these two weeks right here will be big tests for them. Um, as far as the injuries. Yeah. It, they, they took it. I mean, they took a pretty rough um, game against rock Island because Carter Ryan left the game with an injury. AJ yep. Kested left the game with an injury. Drew Kested left the game with an injury. And as you referenced, Tablante was also out for a little while with an injury. So again, like you referenced, I don't want to speculate on injuries. That's not what we're here to do. But it has to be referenced at some point because that is so many significant pieces of what this team did so well on the offensive side of the ball. But a little bit, if you're talking Carter Ryan, who's doing it on both sides of the ball, offense and right. defense. So yeah, I hate talking about injuries, but it, it is a fact and it is reality that um, it will potentially have an impact on the game next week against Moline. So Mitch, let's go down the road. We'll break down that game in a few minutes, but let's go uh, down the road a little bit here. Moline gets the win 27, nothing over Galesburg, man, this Moline defense, they just continue to get the job done. That yep. is now 17 straight scoreless quarters for the Moline defense. They've outscored opponents 187 to nothing in the last four weeks. So Brian Stocking, stat, yep. stat guru with WQAD, busted out four consecutive shutouts for the first time since 1950 for the Maroons. Unreal. So just a great effort all the way around from Moline. Overall, on the offensive side of the ball, they turn out Four, 439 yards of total offense, 27 first downs, 365 of those yards on the ground. So I think we've talked a lot about, I think preseason and last year, we talked a lot about how dynamic Alec Ponder and Matthew Bailey can be in this offense. But I think what's really impressed me, and maybe it's um, a product of the scores that they've had, they haven't needed to throw the ball as much because they've built up leads and they've been shutting out the opposing offenses. So their offensive rushing game has really become something right. to watch out for. So this is a really balanced team, I think, moving down the way into the playoffs, which could pay big dividends when you start talking postseason football. Yeah, when you're talking 365 rushing yards at 27 first downs, that's only going to benefit your defense too because that's keeping them off the field. That's controlling the clock. Um, and yeah, you're not putting it in the ball in the air if you don't have to, because no one's going to, you know, or, or at least in this case, Gillsburg wasn't stopping their run game. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's good to have that, uh, in your pocket to have a ground game and then to, to still have a viable, 
uh, passing game. Because even, you know, even in this game where they didn't pass a whole lot, uh, Alec Ponder was still effective, 6'11 for 74 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and they just they just controlled the clock. And it's what they've, they've proven that they've they've done. Um, I think for Galesburg, they they were threatening and maybe got into, uh, you know, the Moline side of the half of the field. Uh, but the defense just shored up and they kept that streak alive. So uh, just really <laughs> incredibly impressive and stuff like like you reference. And, and like Stock said, that's the first time in what what's the math there? 71 years. Yeah. Um, yep. So just really, really uh, fun to see here with Moline. Yeah, let's give a little credit to the guys running the ball. Pablo Perez, 115 yards. Mason Woods, 51 yards and a touchdown. Gavin Grace with two touchdowns. He's a name we've called out quite a bit. And hey, if we're going to shout out this defense for pitching another shutout, let's talk about Moline's junior lineman, Caleb Singleton, a pair Mm -hmm. of fumble recoveries and a pair of tackles for loss, totaling minus six yards. So, you know, there you go. Great job from Singleton and the rest of the crew on that Moline defense. Mitch, because we're right here with Moline and Sterling right off the top, let's jump right into this game a little bit and talk about it. Yeah. Man, for being identical 6-1 and one overall records, 5-0 and oh in conference, it does feel like from what we've just t- talked about with both teams, man, they're coming at it from completely different areas here. I mean, we're worried about is Sterling banged up and can they – shore some things up on defense and for the Moline side they've just played so well for the last four weeks it's just hard to see it's hard to figure out how does the team stop them so I just I'm not saying anything about a prediction in the game I'm just saying they're they seem to be coming at it from different areas correct from different vantage points yeah um I would certainly agree with that two teams that obviously are are strengthened by their defense um Moline just what more can you say about the you know the shutout streak that they've, they've been doing in this conference because it's one thing to do it and it's another thing to do it in the western big six um and then as we said too if, if Sterling is healthy that's a, a very very good attack and so you you have two Goliaths really going at it um for I, I would say, and I think you would, would too, this will decide the Western Big Six. I don't know if that if it's the official designation that this game is the is the championship game because anything can happen in week nine. But um, I think with Rocky losing, that kind of makes this the actual championship game. But, um, yeah, who's who's going to break first? You know, who's who's going to get the better of, you know, their, their equals? You know, Sterling's offense against Moline's defense, Moline's offense against Sterling's defense. So, um, th- this will be a heavyweight bout, and it's uh, exciting that they're both undefeated. Um, two teams that were probably at the beginning of the season that we thought would be there. Um, you know, Sterling was obviously pretty strong in the in the spring. Um, I think Moline was three and two, three and three. You know, I think they probably took advantage of kind of mixing some things up more, maybe trying some new players out in the spring more than maybe some other teams. Um, and we knew that they would, would bounce back. So uh, really exciting to see if Sterling can repeat as champs or if Moline can, can take the crown. Yeah. And, you know, on the Sterling side of things, obviously, I think we talk about injuries here. And, yes, there are some names in there that could be significant. But at the same time, it, it's by no means doom and gloom for Sterling here when we're talking about right. these players. Because let's talk about 
the names we called out in the spring that were running the ball and Antonio Tablante wasn't necessarily one of those names. And now he is, he's the next man that has stepped up. So you've seen it repeatedly from this program that for example, Kale Ryan was an impact player a year ago and he's Mm -hmm. hurt. He's out for this fall season. They've had, they've had guys step up in his place. So this Sterling team led by John Schlemmer, they're well-coached and they're put in positions to win football games and they have talented football players going down through the ranks. And and there's the next man up mentality exists. You hope it exists in every program, but you've really seen it in this Sterling program over the years. I mean, this is not a flash in the pan program. They've been good for years upon years now going back, you know, 10 years even. So that's where I really feel like a little bit of a strength amongst adversity lies for Sterling. On the other side, Moline is very well coached. Mike Morrissey has this team firing on all cylinders. And it's interesting, again, looking back at the spring, this was a team that had a lot of question marks. And I think that Mike realized that the spring was going to be a learning curve for this Mm -hmm. team. And they learned and they learned on the job. They learned in real football games. They were in the spring, but it was real gameplay. And then come this fall, they were ready to go. And you've really seen it play out, especially in the last four weeks. This team has just been playing as good of football as any team we've seen that we've covered in this area. I mean, Moline is, is really on top of it. So this, this sets itself up. This is exactly what you want out of the Western big six championship game. It's exactly what you want. So I think that's exciting um, from that standpoint. So and it's certainly a lot to talk about. Yeah. And it's, it's at Sterling. So you, uh, another maybe thing that kind of plays into their hand um, because it's always an advantage to play at home. So um, you know, maybe not the, the biggest indicator of, of who, you know, is going to win by any means, but certainly an advantage to have that game uh, at home. Oh, and you got to know, yep, that Sterling crowd is going to be all over it. That's, yep. that's a great environment. Maybe not as great when you're the opposing team, but that's yeah. that home field advantage. I agree. I think that is a big advantage. Yeah. And also, while, just while we're at it, um, going back to watching the Sterling Rocky game, uh, let me just shout out Golden Warrior TV because I, I would be hard pressed to find another school that one um, presents a better product or two is as dedicated to presenting a good product as Sterling is and not yep. to take away from any of the local guys because, you know, you can only control, uh, you know, the factors that you can. Um, but everything from that game presentation to you know, I, I turned the game on right at right at seven, and I don't know what time the, the kickoff was supposed to be, or if they were running late or whatever. But you know, they had they had a pregame show, almost pre-tape a pre-taped pregame show, where where Jim Spencer was talking to defensive coordinator Mike LeMay, and then just the graphics packages, the starting lineups, um, the commercials with Arthur's Deli. I, I've never been more homesick in my life. <laughs> so, just uh, a shout out to to them because uh, that that presentation is really special for high school. And, and certainly in our area, something that's pretty rare. So you're saying that I need to figure out a way to get like an Arthur's deli care package sent to you. Is that what we're working yeah, on? Here? I need like a, one of those uh, freezer dry cooler things <laughs> with, with about 10 number fours and, you know, uh, the potatoes wouldn't work. I think we can make it work with the sandwiches, but yeah, that, that commercial yeah. came on like four or five times. It just, mm. <laughs> I had to look away. Yep. I, I totally agree. Yeah. What, uh, what 
Jim Spencer and Ging and what they what those guys do out there. It's a uh, it's a great product, and I I really when I'm at home on a Friday, I really enjoy watching it. So glad you got to glad you got to take it in on a Friday night. It is a tough I'll, I'll one. be and I'll be doing it again. So yeah, there you go, there you go. All right, let's move along to other games in the Western Big Six. United Township gets back in the winning track. They win forty eight to seven over Alleman. Lauren Arrington rushed for a game high 158 yards, three touchdowns. He had a run for 53 yards, a run for 42 yards on touchdowns on consecutive carries in the second quarter. So uh, yeah. have a have a quarter there, uh, Lauren Arrington. Uh, the game yeah. was scoreless midway. Through. Go go ahead, Mitch. Well, that's that's exactly what I was going to say because the the game was was scoreless up until that point. Uh, he scores, and then I, I don't remember if Allman turned the ball over, if, if they got it after a punt or what it was, and then he scored again. So uh, that really jump-started this, this Panther offense after a, after a tough battle uh, for about a quarter and a half. Yeah, well, great for Nick Welch and the Panthers to get back on the winning side of things here. So they move to four and three on the season. So they are now still in the hunt for playoff, uh, playoff positioning. So every game from here on out is critical for the Panthers. Yeah, and just on the Almond side, um, you know, we, we there's been a lot of talk about them. You, you certainly posed a question, or it wasn't you, I'm sorry, it wasn't you, it was James Taylor, uh, who posed a question, and, and we can revisit that a different time. Um, but there was also a great article this week, um, I've, I've mentioned before, Jackson Stone of the QC Times and the Argus, kind of talking about the Almond program and where where they were in the spring, because they were three and three in the spring. Yeah. And then a lot of turnover, both in players and coaching staff over, over the summer at, at one time, this is a program that had 12 kids on the field in summer practice. And they've got kids who, who have never played football before or are out for the first time or out for the first time in a long time. And in the article, it just describes their attitude and how just upbeat it is and how, you know, there's no fight in these guys. They've gotten better every single week. I, you know, it, the scoreboard isn't going to show that. The, the wins and losses aren't going to show that. But this was – they held UT scoreless for a quarter and a half, and they end up scoring before the game. So, you know, um, I, I don't know if Allman gets a win this year, but a, a lot of credit to that program because they are, are making the most of a tough situation. Yeah, Matt Randazzo mentioned it um, on Friday night. I think that was his first game he started at, and he mentioned it in the highlights. Like, Allman's playing better. They're, they're, they're improving each week and it's, it's hard to see in the final score, but forget that at this point. I mean, yeah. don't worry about that. Yeah. Credit to these kids for battling through it. Cause this is not a situation that any of them certainly want to be in. And, you know, nobody wants to find themselves in this situation. So they're fighting through it and they're trying to make things work. And you just hope for a program that is as proud as all of them is that it, you know, you can find a way to kind of flip the script a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's one bad year and hopefully things will turn around and they can get, you know, some positive momentum. Cause it's, 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 I think it's too quick on the trigger to say, well, they're just done. They can't do it anymore. You know, yeah. I, I think just pause a minute, you know, take yeah. a step back. Also um, I thought I was going to be able to do it, but you did, but congrats on uh, meeting our quota of saying, as Dazzo said in the reaction. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I thought I thought I would get it in somewhere, but you beat me to it. So uh, he's, to not gonna wanna, he, he's not going to want to hear that. He's not going to want to hear that. I'm glad. Actually, uh, Dazzle, he's going to want to hear that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move right along from that. Cause yeah. yeah. All right. 
Quincy gets the win over Geneseo 23-22. Great game in this one. Quincy led 16-0 at the half. But man, the Maple Leafs were not done. They were not going to give up at at Quincy on this road trip. They get on the board in the third quarter. Uh, Jacob Weinzerl, a name we've called out a lot, finds Pater from five yards out. He would get the two-point conversion to bring it to 16-8. Quincy would answer. Geneseo responds right back. Will Taylor for 22 yards. Geneseo back to within seven with three minutes, two minutes left in the third quarter. Under five minutes to play, A.J. Weller finds Weinzerl again from 35 yards. Quincy does hang on to the 23-22 lead at that point. That's with just under five minutes left in the game. Maple Leafs get a big defensive stop on fourth down and five at the five-yard line. The Leafs then had 95 yards on no timeouts with about two and a half minutes left to go. They get down but they can't get into scoring position and they run out of time. They can't, can't pull this one off, but Mitch, we debated it a little bit on the instant reacts podcast. Geneseo with about five minutes, little under five minutes left in the game. They go for two on the road. What are your thoughts on that? That, yeah, that's the absolute right call. Um, Okay. See, we all agree except for stocking go figure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He probably has a conversion rate of success or something, but it's just, you know, one, you're on the road and that's what you want to do Two, you know, you want to put your players in a position to, to win the game. Uh, I don't know if there was any, you know, conversation, you know, wondering if they wanted to to go for it or not, but I'm, I'm sure that they would have all said, yes, let's do it. Um, and, And really from Geneseo standpoint, you're sitting there, with three wins, you got to do everything that you can to try and get to, to four. Um, so yeah, it, it's an absolute right call. Don't pin it on a kicker who a, a team that we've talked about. Um, I think their kicker has missed some time. So why even risk trying to, to, you know, uh, risk just getting a tie when you can go for the win. And this is just, uh, you know, uh, what you live with in the game in that situation. So, um, yeah, kudos to both teams. This was a really good game. Kudos to Geneseo for coming back and and not uh, not having any quit and uh, for Quincy to hang on. Yeah, I love the idea of going for that because you're on the road, like you said, and you're down 16 nothing at half. You fight back, and you got one play that can give you the lead in that game yep. and almost, almost steal that victory if it's possible. I know there was still four-plus minutes left, but trust in your defense, which Geneseo could. And yeah, go for it in that situation. I agree. You know, the Leafs fall short. Credit to Quincy. They got a young group that's playing well. They've showed some flashes of some really good football. This Quincy and Geneseo team seem like they're going to be going back and forth for the next three or four years. They just got a lot of talent that's younger, that's, you know, going to be there for a while. Same with United Township. We've talked about a lot of their younger talent has shown flashes of it. I think they'll be in the mix as well. So, Mitch, we've talked about, you know, the games that were in week seven. That leaves Moline and Sterling sitting there undefeated in conference play, six and one overall. Rock Island sits alone at third place at three and two in the conference. And then you have Quincy, United Township, Galesburg, all sitting at two and three with Geneseo and Alleman being at seven and eight. So let's look into week eight. We already talked about it. Moline at Sterling. 
United Township at Galesburg, Rock Island at Geneseo, and Alleman at Quincy. So when you start looking through these games, I'll ask, I'll default to you first. What stands out to you? Obviously, Moline Sterling. Let's go the rest. What else stands out to you? Um, yeah, let me, I'll go with, with UT and Galesburg here. Um, both teams not having the season that I, I think that they wanted to for two very different reasons. Um, you know, and UT still has a shot at the playoffs. They're at four wins now. So if they, if they, if they beat Galesburg, um, and they can get at least the, the qualifying win. Um, but as, as we've said many, many times before, Galesburg is a heck of a lot better than, than two and five. Um, it's unfortunate for them because they've lost in some, some really just heartbreaking ways, um, with, with, with things just not going their way. Uh, so I'm intrigued by that more. So, you know, can UT get another win? Can they get that qualifying fifth win? Um, you know, Rock, same thing with Rock Island. Can they get their fifth win and get qualifying? Can the Western Big Six get four teams uh, into the playoffs? Uh, I know Quincy has three wins. I, I don't know if they get to five, um, but I, I think this team has at least three for sure going in, possibly four. Um, so, and, and, and speaking of Quincy, yeah, can, can they get that win over Alleman? Uh, how will Alleman look? So, yeah, there, there's – even though Molina certainly are going to dominate the, the headlines this week and deservedly so, because it's going to, it's going to determine uh, the title uh, still some intriguing matchups left uh, with, with two weeks left. Yeah. I think when you start looking at United Township and Galesburg, we've talked a lot about the talent that Galesburg has and you know, it hasn't necessarily materialized. I'm sure that they're not satisfied with the record that they have, but on the flip side, you look at United Township, they're sitting at four and three. United Township was a team we talked a lot about going into the year. We talked especially a lot about them after they came away with the win against Geneseo to open conference play. And then if I'm being honest, like some of the results had them kind of fall off our radar a little bit where they weren't necessarily the top marquee name we were talking about week in and week out, but now sitting at four and three to the Panthers, here's your shot. Go out to Galesburg, win this one, get that fifth win, you know, let's, let's see it. I really think there's the talent there. Like we've talked a lot about it, but if you're going to go to Galesburg, you got to earn it because this Galesburg team is good. And man, that motivation for Galesburg to knock them off, man, you know, it's there, you know, play that spoiler. Yeah. Um, and, and again, not to, not to say that UT can't do it in week nine, but they do host Sterling. Um, so this is almost kind of a must win um a, a game for UT if they want to have a shot at the playoffs because I you know I, I don't know what happens anything can happen we saw it certainly happen in the spring um but you know just get that fifth win just you know uh, take the pressure off you a little bit um because you, you don't want that's I guess that's how I want to say it you don't want your playoff hopes clinging on a game against Sterling you know win or loss however you match up with a team you don't want it to, to hang on <laughs> on on beating Sterling so um, if they can get this win, get that fifth win, and then it's, it's up to them. I think they would certainly have the playoff points to get in with five wins. Yeah. And looking at the Rock Island Geneseo matchup, that one's also very intriguing. Rock Island going on the road to Geneseo. Yep. I think the question for me becomes, does Geneseo have the defensive firepower to slow down Rock Island? And immediately the, the question on the opposite side is, can Rock Island – 
keep that offense moving? Can they limit their penalties, limit their own fumbles and turnovers? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a game that they really could use as well because you start talking, they want to get that fifth one, but obviously, you know, looking at playoff seating as well, they want to get every win they can from here on out these last two. So this is a game. Can Rock Island bounce back? And I, I want to see what they can do. Yeah. Um, like, like you said, can, can they, can Rocky stop, uh, you know, shooting themselves in the foot a little bit? Cause even in the game this week in Sterling, it was in the second quarter. Uh, they were driving. I, I think it was on their side or, or I think it was on Sterling's end of the field. They fumbled. Carter Ryan picked it up, ran it back for a score. So, you know, if you, if you think Rocky would go down and score on their drive, that's a 14 point swing. And the difference in the game was, you know, was three scores. So it makes it a completely different dynamic if that doesn't happen. Um, so, so yeah, clean it up a little bit um, and, and Rocky uh, get that fifth win and, uh, and keep moving forward. Well, plenty to talk about in the Western big six, and we will certainly have a lot to break down next week. But let's move into the Three Rivers Athletic Conference from week six. Monmouth Roseville gets the 46 to six win over Riverdale. The Titans now six and one. They've officially locked up their first playoff berth since 2018. They're five and oh in the track West. They take a half game lead over Erie Prophetstown. We'll talk about them in a minute because that's a big one coming up. Derek Chandler scores Silas Braun to Jerome Jackson who made a spin move to avoid four Ram defenders and get his way 65 yards for the touchdown. That put the Titans up at that point, 25-0. C.J. Johnson had a pair of touchdowns on the night. Another great performance from the Titans. Man, they're rolling right along, and they look every bit the part of being a divisional conference champion, but they got one, well, they got two games left, one big one next week we'll talk about. This Titan team looks really good, though. Yeah, and, and all those highlights that you just talked about, uh, especially that pass to Jerome Jackson, because that was really uh, a very, very cool play. Um, a lot of that happened, I think most of it happened in the first quarter. I think they put up 30 points in the first quarter, so um, this one was over early. Um, but, yeah, the, the names that we keep talking about, Derek Chandler and Silas Braun, um, have just been dynamic for this and, and the defense, not taking it away from the defense, but this, this whole team, I guess I'll just leave it at that. This whole team has really been impressive. Um, I think we talked about it maybe a little bit that this was maybe not a team that we expected to be in the position to win the, the West, win the rock. Uh, so maybe uh, that's on us or maybe that's on Mammoth Roseville for really stepping up. Um, but yeah, they have looked really, really good this season because their only loss is to Kiwani. Is that right? Yep. In week one. Okay. Okay. So yeah, they've, uh, they've really turned the corner from, from that game. Um, and, uh, like you said, they lock up their playoff spot. And now they're trying to lock up that division win. So credit to Jeremy Adolphson and that coaching staff. I think this was a team like we talked about with Moline, they struggled in the spring, but I think they really used that game experience, that real time playing experience to get them where they're at now. And, it, and it's paying off. They look really good, and they're sitting at 6-1, and one, locked in for the playoffs with a huge matchup coming up this weekend. And they also have a huge matchup down the road. They have two big games left. We'll get to them in a second. Mitch, yep. let's move along. Erie Prophetstown gets the 35-12 to 12 win at Bureau Valley. Erie Prophetstown quarterback Colby Franks racked up 262 total yards, three touchdowns. Connor Sibley 
117 yards on 12 attempts. Mason Misfeld was the top tackler with 10 total stops. So Mason Misfeld's a guy we call out on offense, doing it on the defensive side of the ball as well. Erie Prophetstown looked really good. They grabbed a lead early in this one. Bureau Valley hung around, but ultimately the Panthers, man, they keep playing well. They're now at 5-0, and along with Monmouth Roseville. So that sets up another one of those conference championship games that we talked about in the Three Rivers West. It's going to be Erie Prophetstown and Monmouth Roseville essentially battling for that divisional conference title. So that should be a good one coming up in week eight. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking back to Erie, their, their only losses are from their first two weeks. They lost by 10 to a really good Mendota team. And then they lost on a last second field goal to, to St. Bede. So uh, yeah, two teams that really, you know, kind of like we talked about with, with Roosevelt coming off that week one loss, both teams here lose week one um, and have looked really good since. So it only, it only makes sense that they, they are playing for this division crown. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I said it in my, my reacts, my reacts tweet, real looking forward to, to Silas Braun versus Kobe Franks, two of the most dynamic quarterbacks that we cover, certainly two of the better ones in the track. So um, that game is really, really going to, going to be, uh, it could be a shootout. You know, if both offenses are clicking, both defenses have shown that they're, they're very, very good, but these are really two good offenses. So uh, intrigued to see what happens uh, in that game. Um, that game is at Monmouth Roseville. So, um, yeah, I uh, really, really looking forward to that. That may be a game that I, uh, that I peg on Dazzo and say, yeah. this is a, this is a game I might want to yep. maybe hang out at the whole time. If I had the right. option to, um, yep. Mitch, can we give ourselves a little credit, maybe a little pat on the back because way back in week one, I know we talked about. Monmouth Roseville had some pieces in place, but Kiwani really outplayed them on that one night. Yep. We said to watch for them. And then a few weeks later, we said, hey, Erie Prophetstown sitting at 0-2, but look at those two games they've played. Really competitive against yeah. what we thought was really good football teams that have turned out to be really good football teams in Mendota and St. Bede. So let's, yep. we can give ourselves a little credit, right? We kind of called some of that. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if I was that early on Erie. I think it was after they beat Rock Ridge and they got to two and two. I think that's when I said that they were going to go to the playoffs. I'm pretty sure. So, um, uh, yeah, but yeah, if we're going to take some credit, uh, we did call that to make up for any things that we've been wrong about. So we'll just forget <laughs> about we'll just forget about those and focus on these. Well, yeah, it's our podcast. So we don't bring up the things we say wrong. We only bring up. No, the ones I never. I never. I never said that. That's right. Um, well, looking yeah, at, we'll, we'll yeah. get right into it real quick here. Monmouth Roseville hosting Erie Prophetstown in week eight. It's the, like we've said, the de facto conference championship for that Western side of the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. Like you, you talked about the, you know, the dynamic athletes going up against each other. I think what I want to see is up front, the play up front is Erie Prophetstown as big as Monmouth Roseville. I feel like Monmouth Roseville is very experienced up front. Their line is very well played. They've done a great job with it. And I think the game that stands out to me, let's look back at the common opponent in Rock Ridge. And when you look at that Rock Ridge game, Erie Prophetstown was in a shootout with the Rockets going back and forth to the very end. Mm -hmm. And obviously mm -hmm. we've been very impressed with the Panthers firepower to over to overcome it and to, and to beat the Rockets in that one. On the flip side, Monmouth Roseville kind of slowed down Rock Ridge 
and really limited what they were able to do. I don't think they didn't score much, maybe a couple touchdowns. Yeah, it was 18 to 15. Yeah, so that Monmouth-Roseville defense was really able to slow down the Rockets. So that's where the intriguing matchup comes in is can Erie Prophetstown manage to keep things going against what seems to be a tough Monmouth-Roseville defense? This, this matchup, I, I tweeted it out earlier tonight, this has the potential to be the game of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. I think these teams come in that evenly matched. Yeah, I think I think EP has the better resume just having played Mendota in St. Bede because Roseville has – has yet to play EP and then they end with Princeton. So yep. maybe at this point, Erie has the better resume. Um, but I'm looking at the scores here uh, in all four of, or, or five of Erie's wins, they have scored. It's a lot. It's a lot. I'm just double, I'm just double checking my, my math here. Yeah. They're, they've been over 35 points in all for five straight weeks, I guess that would be um, in Monmouth Rose was pretty similar outside of that, that rock Ridge game. So um, like I said, I think this has potential to be a shootout, even though both defenses are really good because their offenses are, are so good with, with, with Braun versus Franks with Chandler versus Sibley and with, you know, uh, you know, playmakers like Jerome Jackson or guys who play on both ends like Mason Misfeld. Um, yeah. Really, really exciting matchup here. You're really you're talking me into this game. You're 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 making this game seem like the one that that I should be at. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think you look at Erie Profits down 55 points, 50 points, 49 points, 42 points, and then 35 points against Bureau Valley. I I just I think the question becomes Rock Ridge or Monmouth Roseville passed the test against Rock Ridge. They were able to limit that offense enough to get that win. Can the, can the Titans do it again? Because here's another high-powered offense in Erie Prophet Sound. Can they do it again? That's where, the, that's where it comes into play for me. That should yep. be a great game. Let's keep moving right along. Another huge win. Newman gets the 43 to nothing win over Spring Valley Hall. Mitch, this was a Hall team that despite their record, we really talked up because they had played really well in two weeks against Mendota and Kiwani. And I don't know, maybe this week they just finally kind of ran out of gas because Newman looked really good in this one. I don't, I don't know that it's – it could be some of that. I think it's Newman getting back to full strength. That's a good point, yep. I think Newman has, has finally gotten to the point where they – you know, because we, we saw Marcus Williams earlier in the year. I think it was against Morrison, what he, what he did against them. Um, and, then, and then he was out, but – yeah, you, you, this Newman team has certainly clicked uh, this past weekend. And I think Celia brought it up like, this is not a team that you probably want to see in the playoffs because the way that they play, just in general, uh, you know, clock management, running the ball, really bruising you up and down the field. And then if they're going to be at full strength, look out, you know, um, it's not going to be easy, but kind of what we were talking about, um, in the Western big six, not saying this is a, a must win game for Newman. Um, but you've got Mendota and then Kiwani. Yeah. So 
two really tough games from Newman uh, that you'd want to be full strength for. And hopefully they are because it's going to be tough to get to that fifth win. I think that they can somewhere. Um, but this was, this was a good start because this is kind of shows what they can do in that sort of situation. Yeah. So let's break it down real quick. Newman's defense right from the start, they got two fourth down stops and then three, three and outs on Hall's first five possessions. In the meantime, they scored on six of their first seven drives doing a lot of their damage on the ground. So you talk about that Newman recipe for success. They Mm -hmm. suffocate you on defense and they run it down your throat. That's what Newman does well. They got back to doing that this week. Newman racked up 347 yards on the ground. They held Hall to 42 yards rushing, Mitch. Like, holy cow. So just, you know, great effort from them. Marcus Williams returns from injury, had 78 yards rushing and a touchdown. Ethan Van Landewit finished with 75 yards and a touchdown. Mason Glaudel, 66 yards. He had a pair of touchdowns. So getting contributions from multiple athletes on the field and obviously the defensive effort all the way, you know, just complete team effort on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, this is a Newman team that they really needed this win. But man, it doesn't get any easier. Like you referenced, they got Mendota next week on the road. And then they're at home against Kiwani in week nine. So Hall or Mendota sitting at five and two and Kiwani currently sitting at seven and oh. That's that's tough. That's two tough games left on your schedule. If they're going to get in, they got to earn it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe in both of those two teams, we'll talk about them in a minute because they just played each other this week. So, uh, you know, based off of what Mendota did this past week or or, or what they didn't do uh, against Kiwani, maybe there's an opening there for Newman. Uh, if they can play as well as they have to grab that fifth win this week, because it's not going to get any easier with, with Kiwani in week nine. Um, but yeah, Mendota's five and two and they're hosting that game. So um, but when we get to the week eight matchups, that would probably be one that I would circle because there is, you know, um, Newman trying to get that qualifying win, Mendota trying to get that automatic win. So that would be certainly an intriguing, uh, intriguing matchup for me. Well, let's jump right into, like you referenced, Kiwani and Mendota played each other in week seven. Kiwani gets the 56-7 to seven win. Boilers, Boilers are off to their first 7-0 start <clears throat> since 1943. So, unbelievable. Take that, Take that Moline. Not 1950. <laughs> yeah. We're going deeper. That's right. 1950 was a deep stat. We're going even farther back. So, credit yeah. to the Boilers and that program, Coach Swanson and everybody. I mean... This team, this community, they're on fire right now, man. They're, they're buzzing. So, Mitch, I started at Bureau Valley for the game against mm-hmm. Erie Prophetstown. I'm on the road. I'm listening to WRMJ and getting my, you know, my local sports fix on the road, getting some high, halftime scores and some updates along the way. But then I hear my phone buzz, and I look down, and all you say is, Kiwani, 42 nothing, second quarter. And I thought, yeah. oh my God. Well, yeah. And this was, this was um, a game that was available on uh, NFHS. Yep. And I, I remember I was, I was either waiting for the Sterling Rocky game to, to start or I was just flipping in general. And I turned on this game because this game was, was also as a Kiwani home game. And, and so they had a, they had a, a presentation as well. And I saw them score while I was watching. It was at that point, 35, nothing. And 
and no offense to Kiwani, but I turned the game off right there because it was just, it was over. So um, a Mendota team who had not shown any signs of being slowed down that way, but Kiwani just continues to look so, so good this year. So I ran, I get to the game and like, like I just referenced, you had, you had told me it was 42, nothing. I run in and I see the Kiwani is in a timeout, but they're in the red zone. And I thought yeah. I, I ran down. I thought I got to get anything I can here. Uh, so thank you to coach Swanson. I'm sure he didn't do it just for me, but I appreciate the, yeah. uh, I appreciate that he gave, he gave the handoff to lineman James Connor. The big man Ooh. rumbles in. So Mitch, I get a lineman touchdown while I'm there. The team's going nuts. The crowd's going nuts. So it was fun. That, that was a lot of fun to get that moment. And then, uh, you know, from there, like I said, I, I pretty much missed most of the highlights. It was, it was over by the time I got there. But um, another great effort from Kiwani. Will Bruno threw three touchdown passes in the game. That's 20 on the season. And actually, uh, I ran into his mom when I was walking out. Okay. And actually, uh, Will's little cousin was there wearing a, wearing a Will Bruno shirt. So she was oh, excited. Look out. And I put her on the news because uh, Will set two records in the game, one for touchdown, or sorry, one for receptions or for passes in a season and one okay. for completions in a career. So okay. two records in the same game. So credit to Will Bruno. And it was great running into his mom as I was, uh, you know, leaving the game. She was very excited naturally for this one. So, yeah. uh, a lot of buzz, a lot of fun for Kiwani, not as much fun for Mendota, but man, still a lot to work on and yep. still a lot left ahead of Mendota. This Trojan team is now at five and two. They're still playoff eligible. So they're right there. They still have a lot in front of them. Yeah. Um, and we, we referenced it a little earlier. They, they play, you know, Newman here in week eight. Um, and then they finished with St. Bede. So we're seeing this a lot here um, in the track that they're the team's final two weeks, especially for teams that are either trying to get playoff eligible or get that automatic win, really a tough, a tough road ahead. Um, you know, we talk about the gauntlet that is the NUIC uh, and for, you know, the, the absolute correct reasons. Uh, the, the track is no slouch. You know, uh, the state titles that Newman has, the state titles that Morrison has. Um, you know, the state titles that Bureau Valley has. So, you know, we, we, the NUIC gets a lot of, a lot of talk, deservedly so. Don't sleep on the track because historically, this is a, a very good conference and it, it's showing again because they're going to get four, five, six teams maybe in the playoffs. So, um, yep. yeah, just it's, as I've been looking through these schedules, it's just like, whoo. These last two weeks are really going to mean a lot for a lot of teams. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's look at one of those teams that is certainly part of that gauntlet. Princeton gets the 47 to 20 win over St. Bede. Mitch, we've been impressed with what St. Bede has done this year, mm -hmm. but I got to give huge credit to Princeton. Their biggest, you know, game plan going in was to contain as much as you can contain and limit the damage that Tyreek Fortney can do for St. Bede. And man, they certainly accomplished that. He had one reception and one carry. So I don't know, you know, why they weren't handing the ball off more to him if, if you're St. Bede, but I give credit to St. or to Princeton's defense for really blanketing him, 
and just yeah. not letting him get open, you know, in space. Yeah, and this game was was close. I they were trading uh, touchdowns the first couple of scores. I think it was 13, 13, 14, the, the 14 or, or something early on. Um, maybe it's still in the first quarter um, or at least early second at the very latest. But then uh, I don't remember what that stat was that we said a couple of weeks ago about how many times Prince scored in the 40s. But um, they, they do it again, um, continue to, to really look good. Um, taking it to Newman and St. Bede. Um, with, with their only losses here coming to Kiwani, you know, they are priming themselves for a really good run in 3A. Yep. Let's look at their stats for this one. Junior running back Augie Christensen, 117 yards and four touchdowns. Junior Tegan Davis, 215 on three touchdowns, accounting for all of the Tigers scoring, 332 yards rushing. Class 3A, number eight ranked team. The Tigers now six and one, four and one overall in the track East. So they've clinched a playoff bid. This mm-hmm. was a team that we, you know, we knew from the very beginning, they were going to be a factor going into the playoffs. They've clinched that bid. So they're going to be in. We'll talk about their matchups down the road coming up um, in a minute here. Orion gets the big win 30 to nothing over Morrison. So they moved to three and four. Mitch, what's really interesting is they're obviously fighting for their playoff lives right now, sitting at three and four. They next week have rival Sherrard, mm-hmm. and then they have Rock Ridge in week nine. So we'll talk more about it in a minute here, but there's a lot of, like you've talked about with these last two weeks, a lot of intriguing matchups with just so much riding on these games and so much mm-hmm. riding on these outcomes as far as which teams are in and which teams may not you know, maybe out of the playoffs. But before we get into that, let's give a shout out to Orion Charger alum, Orion Charger graduate, Logan Lee, defensive lineman now for the Iowa Hawkeyes in a game that was, you know, on the national radar, you know, on the on the scale yep. of, you know, nationwide discussion as far as Iowa versus Penn State. Obviously, Iowa came away with the huge win Crazy scene in Kinnick, crazy scene in Iowa City as the Hawkeyes get the victory. Logan Lee finishes the game with a career high, seven tackles. So huge credit to him and a shout out to a couple other former Lee win Panthers, Isaiah Bruce and Jennings Dunker, both represent the Iowa Hawkeyes now. So, you know, we got some Hawkeyes from our, uh, from our area and they're, they're doing great things. The Hawkeyes, Mitch, the Hawkeyes are number two in the nation. What like, I, it's crazy to me. Yeah, th- this game was off the charts in terms of how boring it was. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, they're they're number number two or three, whatever they are. But <laughs> no, they're uh, they're hey, number two. Well, they're AP okay. number two. All right, let's, with with very little offense, but they're AP number two. Uh, oh, we're gonna get a lot. We're getting a lot of trouble with Hawkeye fans here. Yeah, yeah. I look. I don't like the Hawkeyes, so just make it clear. Um, <laughs> I don't either. Where, so here we are. On the teams that on the teams or on the conferences that we cover, and I don't remember what we what we called the track. Um, but that could almost be like, is it the Big Ten East or the Big Ten leaders, whatever they call it now, that has like five of the top ten teams? It's something like that, right? Yeah. Like that is not to get into college talk, but Iowa, enjoy your ranking while it lasts. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Because that's just a, like like the track is. That's going to be a gauntlet the rest of the way out. There are so many good teams. 
um, whether they've they've lost already or they haven't lost uh, that are going to be coming up on the schedules. Obviously, with college, there's seven weeks left or whatever it is. Um, but but similar situations. So it's just such a deep two division conference um, that there's you know there's only spots for a few, and so you got to get through everyone else to be one of those two. So. Um, yeah, I would I would think of it I would think of it that way because I, I could see some similarities between uh, those two conferences and the way that their seasons are are playing out. Well, Mitch, the uh, Northwestern Wildcats have claimed the last two out of three Big Ten West championships, so yep. I'm clinging onto that as long as I can because I'm not sure it's going to remain well, that way. So. Yeah, whatever whatever helps getting over having fifty hung on you by Nebraska, <laughs> that's fine. It doesn't help. Nothing helps. <laughs> All right, Mitch, we got to move along. I can't keep talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Rock Ridge gets the 56 to seven win over Sherrard. So the Rockets now sit at four and three. They have a big crossover matchup next week at Kiwani and then it's Oregon. So mm-hmm. like we just discussed briefly, there's a very real chance that we have Rock Ridge at four and four and Oregon at four and yep. four fighting yep. for a playoff spot. Yep. So much, so much intrigue. That's, yeah. If, you know, you know, playoff football is on a, a completely, you know, different level, uh, no matter if you're seeing the, the one sixteen matchup or, or whatever. Situations like this are, are very close in terms of like being at that game and, and just feeling it, being a part of that game with so much on the line. Again, five wins doesn't guarantee you anything. Most of the time it does in the track. I would assume it does. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I say, I hope we get there, but that means heartbreak for one team. Um, but you, you also want both teams to be in that position. So uh, yeah, if that comes to fruition, um, that will be, like you said, a, a big, big time matchup. And here's the thing, man, Rock Ridge, they could avoid, they could avoid the scary situation if they can pull off the upset at Kiwani, you know, they have yeah. a chance here, you know, right. they're sitting you know, they're at four and three right now. If they go on the road and grab a, what would be a huge win, you know, at Kiwani, they, they could avoid the situation, but man, there's just a lot of factors that play a lot of intrigue going into week eight and week nine, Mitch, let's talk about it. Week eight. Like we just said, Rock Ridge at Kiwani Bureau Valley at Princeton, the route six rivalry, Mitch, it's huh. back for the first time in 23 years Bureau Valley going on the road to Princeton. I grew up in Ottawa right along route six. So I appreciate the route six rivalry here. That's a lot of fun. Newman at Mendota, St. Bede at Hall. There's another nearby rivalry there for you. Erie Mm -hmm. Prophetstown at Monmouth Roseville, which we talked about. Riverdale at Morrison and Orion at Sherrard. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of these games, but just so much playoff implications going into these games in week eight and week nine. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, even on the flip side of that, I look at uh, a Riverdale Morrison, you know, two teams that really haven't, haven't had good years. Uh, can Riverdale get their first win? Can Morrison get their second win? Um, you know, as much as we talk about these games that, uh, that have playoff implications, you know, the, the bottom of the table here, even, even Sherrard hosting Orion, you know, um, we, we hope to see that those teams do well because uh, they, you know, have not quit 
at all, all season. So, you know, uh, again, like I said, can Riverdale get their first win? Morrison get their second win? Can Sherrard get their first win? So, um, you know, exciting stuff all throughout the table here. I think the one that's interesting to me is um, St. Bede goes on the road to Hall. Mm-hmm. And now St. Bede did get the win at Bureau Valley, but they didn't, they didn't dominate. I mean, they, they certainly didn't, they didn't put up a ton of points and maybe that's some credit to Bureau Valley for really limiting what they did, what they could do on offense. But we've seen this Hall team play up a little bit until this week. So that's where the question comes in. Can Hall bounce back? Can they do something at home? You know, their playoff season is, is over, um, sitting at one and six. But can they derail what St. Bede wants to do? Or can St. Bede kind of prove to be that team and really jump back in and play really well? I, that, that matchup intrigues me a little bit. Newman at Mendota a lot there. there mm-hmm. There's a lot there. That, that seems like a really even matchup for two teams that, man, they'd love to get a, a win to really notch a quality win late in their season. This is a big one for both teams. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you said it all. What more, what more can be said? There's uh, just so much riding on, on this week um, and it, it's only going to lead into more intrigue for, for week nine. So um, yeah. Looking forward to it. Mitch, if I got to pick one game to go to here in the three rivers, where am I going? Other than Kiwani or I'm sorry, other than Roseville EP. Well, no, is that, I, I think that, is that it? Yeah. I, well, that's, I think that's yeah, probably that's, it. That's, that's the easy answer. That's, that's for, for the, the division crown. That's the easy answer. So other okay. than, other than that, if Matt Randazzo says no, and he's mean to me and doesn't let me do that one, yeah, <laughs> I sound right, like, okay. I sound like a whiny child. He's mean yeah. to me. He won't let me do it. If yeah. I can't go there, where am I going? Um, Newman Mendota, I think. Um, I, I think that has the most intrigue for playoffs. Um, I, obviously, BV and, and Princeton is, is a great rivalry. Um, but but in terms of, of what hangs in the balance. Yeah, I, I think I think Newman Mendota, Kiwani Rock Ridge, a close second because Rock Ridge is certainly not out of it. Uh, but that's that's a tall task going to Kiwani. So I, I would I would say Newman at Mendota would be my my second favorite matchup of the week here. Yeah, I like that uh, Rock Ridge Kiwani matchup, but I've been to Kiwani three times this year already. So I got to I got to diversify yeah. a little bit. Uh, well, unless you're the good luck charm, I don't know. That's true. Well, that's true. Yeah, they've they've played well. Obviously, they played well every year, every week, whether I'm there or not. But yeah, yeah. All right, let's jump into the Lincoln Trail Conference from Week Seven. Mitch, A Town. They were off in Week Six. They get mm-hmm. back on. They they had a forfeit win due to COVID. They get back on the field now against Princeville. They win 18-7 in this one to remain unbeaten on the year. They're now seven and zero. The Princes actually did score first in this one, but that's all they'd get all night. A-Town wins 18-7 like we referenced. And actually, Easton Schischler was out in this one for the Tornadoes. In steps, Parker Stone King, usually a wide receiver, had never taken a snap in a game at quarterback. He gets pegged as the quarterback in practice earlier in the week. And man, he gets the job done. They did get off to a slow start. Like I said, they were trailing seven to six at halftime, but Stone King would connect with Parker Darst for a nine-yard touchdown that gave the Tornadoes a 12-7 lead. 
Darst ran for 97 yards in the game as well. Stone King completes nine of 20 for 209 yards, two touchdowns. He also had a two yard touchdown run. He ends up, he leads him to victory 18, seven. So just a great effort from a senior to step in wherever you're needed, you know, like other duties as assigned, you're a wide receiver, but Hey, we need you here. So great job from him. Yeah. He also captains the all name team. uh, (laughs) So double duty, but you know, we, we saw with Princeton with, with Tegan Davis, where you have teams that, uh, you know, have to replace um, or, or, or I should say they, they play a different position and, and have to, you know, come into a new role, regardless of the situation. Obviously, Tegan Davis has been the quarterback for Princeton all season. This might have been a one-off thing, uh, or he's just the emergency emergency QB. Um, but a typical Princeville game, a, a low-scoring uh, game where they kind of slow things down um, against their opponents. Uh, so, A-Town proves here that they can, uh, you know, win both ways. We've seen them win in blowout fashion. We've seen them uh kind of grind it out here now even with a new quarterback they were able to grind it out so um yeah a town gets to, to seven and oh and uh big one big one in the week that we're going to talk about here in a minute yeah well let's move right along to knoxville getting the 41 to 22 win over illini west mitch this knoxville offense we talk about it every single week yep. but they just keep putting up numbers that are worth talking about yeah. 495 yards of total offense. This Blue Bullets team, they have so many weapons and they're they're just putting up the points and they look great so far sitting at 7 and 0. Yeah, good good to see them go go out of conference um and play, you know, historically a good uh Illini West team. I, I don't I think they're 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 4 and 3 or 3 and 4 on the season, something like that. So, uh but not to take away from from what type of program that they are. So, uh, but yeah, th- this Knoxville team is, is a lot of fun to to watch and and to to read about um, as they are newcomers to the LTC and they're really making their presence known. So uh, the Blue Bullets once again uh, show that they are by committee a dominant dominant force to reckon with. Well, let's read through some of the committee. We've talked about them before. These are names that you'll be familiar with if you've heard us talk Knoxville. Peyton Hankins, thirteen carries, two hundred eight yards, two touchdowns. He had one from 80, one from 58. He's now over 1,200 yards on the season. And now keep in mind, that includes a forfeit win over Mercer County. Mm -hmm. So they haven't even played. They've only played six games technically on the field. So over 1,200 yards in six games. Kellen McClay, 12 carries, 103 yards, two touchdowns. Garrett Larson, 12 for 99 and two touchdowns. On the defensive side, you know, let's give some credit to the defensive, the blue bullets, yeah. they're winning games. They're getting it done on defense as well. Cart Carson Wallace, two interceptions on defense. He's now got five on the year. So big time effort from Wallace and the defensive side for the blue bullets. They look like a complete team and they look like a team that is ready for a playoff run. Yeah, this is uh, in, in every single game that they've played this year. Uh, outside of the forfeit win against Mercer County, uh, they had 41 in this win. That was their lowest point total of the year. Um, wow. Yeah. And they've only, uh, they allowed 26 points uh, against uh, Kiwani Weathersfield uh, two weeks ago, but that was their highest uh, defensive output. So yeah, a complete team here. Um, and they're going to go up against an A-Town team 
that's a very, very good uh, offensive team. So, uh, you know, we don't know about the injuries there. Um, if Stone King's going to play again for, for them. Um, but yeah, this is, this is going to be a, a good battle. Um, can a town only allows something like 10 points a game. So they, they've never been scored on. Uh, they've only allowed 14. That's the highest that they've allowed. So can they be the answer that no one seems to have yet for the blue bolt offense um, on, on the other side of that can, can Knoxville's defense continue to play that they, they have and stop a really good tornado offense. So like we've talked about for uh, the, this duration of this show with some of the matchups that we, we have this week, add this one to the list. Cause not only is it a, a game between two really, really good teams also for the LTC crown. Yeah. Longtime rivals, Knoxville and Abingdon Avon. They've been doing battle for years and years and years. This is a historic rivalry. When you talk about, you know, the longest running rivalries in the state of Illinois and man, they couldn't have picked a better time to meet up in week eight with the conference crown on the line. Like we've talked about all year, both the newcomers to the Lincoln trail conference, but here they sit and they're doing battle in what is the conference championship in week eight. Mitch, I think it's easy to look at Knoxville's offense, but man, that Abingdon Avon defense, when I really started looking through their schedule and looking at the scores, the point totals, they have not allowed very much any week. You know, it's less than two scores. Yep. Um, So uh, again, this is where you, you know, you, you see the unstoppable force, you know, meeting a, an immovable object. So that is such uh, an old school. That is such an old school WWF reference that I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling on myself with my age too. So, um, <laughs> but that's what you, that's what you want. Um, do we, do we know is Knoxville in, in 2A or 3A? I believe Knoxville will be a 2A team. Okay. That is an incredibly tough two-way team <laughs> to, to have to play because is, is A-Town one? Yeah, A-Town will be one A, I believe. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So, not only does this uh, obviously uh, have a, the LTC crown on the line, um, but really good experience for both of these teams, having both automatically qualified for the playoffs, both which I would predict can make a significant run, especially a town in one a, as long as they don't run into a, a Lee win or a force and early, you know, if they run into them in the quarterfinals or whatever you may be, but, um, and certainly Knoxville in two way as well. So, um, th- th- these are two teams that I'll, I'm certainly looking forward to watching this week, but also in the next, you know, what they would hope the next six or seven. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I really want to see, you know, head coach Rick Quinn and the Abingdon Avon tornadoes, have been a successful program. They've had their ups and downs, but man, they were really good several years ago. And now they seem to be back. And I think this is a huge test for them. And regardless of the outcome, you're going up against a very good 2A Knoxville program. As a 1A school, what can you do against them? And man, you're going to be battle tested going into the playoffs. So there's really... Yeah, the downside is if you don't win the game, you're not the conference champion. But at the end of the day, there's bigger goals, you know, other goals down the road. 
And so mm-hmm. I think it's a big test for Abingdon Avon in that sense. But also on the flip side, if you're Knoxville, this is a test going up against an undefeated football team playing with a lot of confidence. And so you got to come in and keep doing what you've done well against the defense that's really limited people. So this is another really intriguing matchup. It is on Saturday night. It's a Saturday night game. Yep. So um, I may not have the option to get to this one. If, if I usually go out and cover football on Friday night, my wife is not usually crazy about me then going again on Saturday and being gone. So yeah, I may end up if hopefully this one is live streamed somewhere so I can catch some of the action, but uh, yeah, probably won't be at this one, but it is going to be a great game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if, if Knoxville, if you're, if you're listening and put then I know you are, trust me, blue bullet nation. I know you're listening. Uh, if there is a, a stream to this game, please let us know. Uh, Cause I would really, uh, want to watch this on on saturday night all right let's move into the other games in the lincoln trail conference mercer county mitch can we pat ourselves on the back again because we said i you did i i'm not going to take credit for this one because this was one that you pointed out uh early again when they were probably around the two and two mark i think is when or maybe it was when they were two and three uh when you yep when you pointed that out so yeah kudos to you on this one all right well hey i saw it because i just i thought that they were playing well enough to get some wins. Mercer County gets the win on homecoming. They beat Ridgewood 64 to six. Mercer County's running back, David Meese, a name we've talked about, scored three touchdowns in the first half. Golden Warriors now four and three. They're winners of three straight. So I think this is a team that, you know, they're playing well at the right time. Their wins or their losses, I'm sorry, have come against really good football teams. Unfortunately, they had the COVID loss to Knoxville, but their other losses were to A-Town, who's undefeated, and to Farmington, who's undefeated. So just, I mean, their losses are as good as you could possibly expect out of a loss. So this is a team to keep your eye on. Other wins around the conference, Anawan Weathersfield gets the 46-6 to win over Stark County. Darius Dickerson rushes for 198 yards, two touchdowns. Dylan Horry, six of nine passing, 117 with three touchdowns. Cole Truxell, 91 yards, two touchdowns to lead Anawan Weathersfield. So big win there for the Titans. They're now at four and three on the season. And United gets another big win. Their winners, 40 to 14 over Rova Williamsfield. United now also sits at four and three on the season. Mitch, we talked about it a little bit last week, but credit to David Milroy and this United Red Storm team. This team struggled, man. They they mm-hmm. struggled to find wins. And now they're sitting in going into week eight at four and three. That's huge credit to them and what they've done to flip this program around. The tough news is they got some pretty good opponents waiting on their schedule. But yep. man, if you want to make an impact, let's do it. Here you go. You got everything sitting in front of you now. It's sitting at four and three. Yeah. So sitting at four and three with, yeah. And you're on the road, both games too. So that adds to the, uh, the difficulty going, going to Rushville this week and then ending the game at, at Abingdon. Uh, so we'll see what happens there with United. But with, when you're talking about Anon Weathersfield and Mercer County, I think both teams, get to that fifth win this week 
and then they play each other in week nine. So if you have a five and four Weathersfield team and a five and four Mercer County team up against one another in week nine with, again, hopefully that's enough to get them in with the strength of, of the, in Mercer County's case, Farmington, Knoxville, uh, Abingdon. But if both of those teams are, 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 are five and three, I guess it would be going into that game. Uh, and there's an automatic berth on the line. That's going to be a, a very, very big game for both programs. Yeah, absolutely. When you start talking about the impact and Anwan Weathersfield and Mercer County, historically going back 10 years or more, those are the teams that are battling for the LTC. In this case, battling for playoff positioning. Yeah, yeah. certainly both teams. That's a really intriguing matchup heading into week nine. But Mitch, let's look at what we got for week eight. We already broke it down. A-Town at Knoxville, Mercer County at Stark County, Princeville at Ridgewood, Rova Williams Field at Anawan Weathersfield, and United goes on the road to Rushville Industry. Mitch, I can't think of a better way for David Milroy and that United Red Storm program to keep things building in the positive direction how about getting a non-conference win on the road at Rushville Industry? Mm-hmm. I think it's possible. Yeah. I think there's something there. I think it's possible. They'd have to play really well, but I think it's possible. That's a good Rushville Industry team with a good record. But, man, go get the job done. I, I would love to see it. Yep. The way that they've been playing, it certainly is, is possible. Um, but, yeah, A-Town in Knoxville is certainly going to get the, the headlines from us and and probably for elsewhere, I think, just because with what that that game's going to mean here with the conference title on, on the line. Um, but again, the teams that we talked about can can Mercer County, you know, get a winnable game against Stark County, um, and can A and W get a winnable game against Roba and get that fifth win under their belt to to really set up that big week nine matchup. So. Um, uh, again, as we've talked about it, the, with with shorter and shorter time left in the season, we're seeing a lot of, of really important games across all of these conferences that we play or that, that we cover, I should say. Yeah. So the big one, all eyes will be on Abingdon Avon at Knoxville. That's the historic rivalry with the conference championship on the line. Both of those teams sit at 6-0 and and they're both undefeated in conference play. Mercer County is at four and two in conference play. United is sitting right behind them at four and three in conference play. Anwan Weathersfield also at four and three. So, I mean, just, you know, a lot of shifting could go on right there at the top of that conference. But, you know, it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. And I think the headline, obviously, A-Town and Knoxville will be breaking that one down in a week and seeing what happens. Yeah, and I... Uh, again, like you said, looking at these rankings, I think LTC does get five teams in um, and adding to the, the seven or eight that get in from the track and what the four that get in from the Western Big Six. So and, and however many, you know, the, the four or five that get in from the NUIC, uh, we are very fortunate that we're going <laughs> to be continuing this, this podcast uh, well into the into the playoffs. Well, that's good. We'll, we'll have plenty to talk about then. Job so security. That's, that's right. Job security. Absolutely. Hey, Mitch, we're going to get to my favorite segment of the show. It's yeah. that Ottawa Marquette gets the big win 49 to 14 over Walter Christian. They, the Crusaders improve 
to six and one playing that independent schedule. Yep. So uh, they're, you know, they're looking good in class one a, I don't want to, you know, wanna, I don't want to tell too much on my alma mater, but I will say it's, it's exciting times for the Crusaders. They have, uh, let's see, they have Christ the King out of Chicago next week on the road, and they end at home against the Fisher Bunnies. So mm. two games left in their schedule, but man, my Crusaders, I'm excited. I We'll be talking about them in the playoffs too, Mitch, I, I promise, whether you want to or not, so... Yeah, um, <laughs> I, what I'd really like to do is talk about that week nine matchup against the best helmet in the United States. So that's true. The Fisher Bunnies have the best helmet. So, but Mitch Marquette kind of looks like Notre Dame. So that kind of pulls at you a little bit, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably uh, less anxiety filled of a football team um, <laughs> than I'd prefer because they they've really done a good job this year uh, in, in their independence with their only loss being to uh, a really good DMAC team. So, yep. Uh, yeah. If they can, it looks like they probably will win these next two games and they go into one a at, at uh, eight and one, it's just another, another team in one a uh, that is in our area. Um, and it gives credence to my thought that we're going to see a state champion from our area in one a. So, yeah. Well, as Kyle Campmeyer will always quickly remind me, Otto Marquette's got to beat somebody from the NUIC if they want to make things happen in the postseason. Yep. So that's yep. that's always the road always runs through the northwest part of the state. So uh, you know, plenty to talk about in that in the coming weeks. But anyway, I always yep. love shouting out Marquette. Yep. Hey, Mitch. Speaking of the Northwest Upstate Illini, I don't want to totally cut you out of all conversation involving yep. the great small school conference that is the NUIC. Me and Kyle broke down everything from week seven, but hey, let's look ahead to week eight. East Dubuque on the road at Dakota. Fulton on the road after their big win over Forreston. They go on the road to Eastland Pearl City. Galena goes on the road to Dupec. Dupec, the big statement win over Lena Winslow. Yep. Lena Winslow is on the road at Stockton. And Gibson City, Melvin Sibley traveling to Forreston on Saturday for the non-conference crossover game there. So that's an intriguing matchup right away. Forreston looking to bounce back against the Gibson City, Melvin Sibley team that is usually one of the top teams in the smaller 1A, 2A southern part of the state. They're struggling a little bit this year. They're not quite that top tier team. Well, man, I still think that's that's a test coming in for Forreston, and they're really looking to bounce back. You almost a little bit, you almost feel bad for Gibson City Melvin Sibley because they could be running into a Forreston team that's maybe a little bit extra motivated this week to prove themselves. Yeah, you look at those two those two names, uh, and it just it it makes me think of playoff football with yeah, with, yeah. with the history behind those two. So so yeah, can can Forreston get a bounce back win? Um, you know, I no discredit Fulton. I did think Forreston was going to win that game with what Fulton came into the game with losing, you know, a couple players that you guys talked about. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't want to play Forreston either. Um, I'm intrigued by Galena going to Dupec. Can, can Dupec manage the emotions? Because they've got a hungry Galena team coming in. Galena trying to get that fifth win. Um, and so can they, 
they had a big Friday night. How has their week prep, you know, been, how has their week prep been? Um, and can they kind of sustain that? Because the job is not done yet. They, they do still need to, I, I think if they win this one, it would automatically because they would hold the, the tie break uh, over, over Lena. Um, I think had forced in one against Fulton, there was still some intrigue there maybe going into yep. the last week, but I, if my math is right, I think if Dupec wins, that would give them the crown here. Um, uh, the flip side of that, can Lee win handle the, the emotions of coming off of a tough loss? Um, you know, but judging by listening to their players and coaches after the game, I, I think they'll be fine. They, they know who they are. They know what their strengths are. Um, but playing against a good Stockton team uh, that, that's coming off a, a, a big win, showing their offensive muscle on Saturday. Um, so, so, yeah, this is, uh, again, another week where there's a lot of playoff positioning, seedings, and qualifications on the line. Um, and let's see if Dupac can close this out and get that title. That's, I think, the important factor. You just nailed it right there at the end. Dupec gets the big win and what we've joked about or not joked about, but talked about as being the NUIC conference championship game against Lena yeah. Winslow. But the fact is there's still two weeks left in the season. You right. got to close it out. So right. for Dupec, they got to finish it now. You know, they got to close the door. And I think they're in a good position to do that. But man, you can't sleepwalk through Galena. Galena's no. a good football team. And I think they're hungry like every other team this time of year because they're sitting at four and they want to get to that fifth win. So, yep, that's an intriguing matchup. As for a team like Fulton, that was a huge win because Kyle referenced it earlier in the podcast. That win over Forreston may have meant the difference between a road game or now you're a home game in the playoffs if you can finish it off. And now they have Eastland Pearl City, who's 0-6 or 0-7, and they have Dakota, who's also been struggling. So, yeah. you know, Fulton, it's all in front of them. You know, they have the opportunity here to really close out strong after a big win over Forreston. But like we've talked about, you got to get the job done. So that's what it comes down to for all these teams, you know, get, get the job done now in week eight and week nine and really set yourself up good in the playoffs. Mitch, let's talk about a little eight man before we wrap things up here in the eight man ranks. Amboy is on the road at Orangeville. That game's on Saturday. Another Saturday game, Aquin at West Prairie. Hiawatha travels to Polo. Milledgeville would have hosted AFC, but AFC has canceled their season. So at this point, I believe Milledgeville will have a bye week. I don't know that for sure if they found anyone else to play. River Ridge on the road at Alden Hebron. Mitch, how about Milledgeville, man? They've, they've yep. come on strong and looked really good. They're now sitting at seven, six and one on yep. the year. And their only loss is to a seven and oh polo team. Yep. Yeah. Connor, Connor Nye just continues to really rack up the yards and the touchdowns. So that's a name that uh, should, should be mentioned. Um, you know, if you're talking about really dynamic impact players in the area um, and, and again, maybe, maybe doesn't get the notoriety being an eight man. Um, but don't, don't, we've said it. We'll continue to say it. We always say it, don't sleep on eight man football. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, 
a good option for, for schools and, and areas that might struggle with numbers. And I, Millersville is, is proof of that. Um, so yeah, a tough, tough for AFC, obviously, um, and tough for Millersville to, uh, to get a bye week, so to speak, as they try and continue that momentum going into playoffs. Cause I think that they'll, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. Um, you know, in this one, Amboy going to Orangeville, Amboy, if you remember, put up like 60 points on West Central. So sitting at four wins on the year, Orangeville, obviously a really, really, really good team. Um, but that stands out to me uh, in the games here because uh, not as strong of a week for eight man, but Amboy and Orangeville is certainly an intriguing matchup. Yeah, that's one that, yeah, can Amboy put something together and pull off, you know, another big win that that big one against West Central was huge for their season. You start looking ahead between Polo, Milledgeville, Orangeville, and Aquin, and even Amboy to a certain extent. Man, they, they are just, they're going to be a force to reckon with in the eight-man division of uh, the playoffs, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I hope I can get to one of these eight-man games, see it in person. I've seen eight-man on the Iowa side of the river years ago when I was covering stuff for uh, on the TV side of things but I really hope I can get to one of these Illinois eight man games, especially come playoff time. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be great because these teams have looked really good. And I think they're going to be, they're going to be the teams that, that dominate, you know, going forward. Yeah. Looking at the the teams in the South for eight man, you know, not to take anything away, away from them, but I, I think that you'll get the champion from eight man from, from teams in, in the area that we cover from the North section of eight man football, um, just cause it's, it's so tough. Um, but that's going to be uh, a really fun playoff to, to watch too. Kyle did mention earlier that uh, he really is impressed with St. Thomas Moore out of Champaign. Yeah. Yeah. That's a team that's really caught his eye. They've put up some big time numbers the past few weeks and uh, Decatur Lutheran, they had a couple of COVID losses, uh, forfeit losses, but they've really looked strong other than that. So I think yeah, there's strong, a few strong, teams. Yeah, strong defense. Yeah, strong defense is there. Um, but I don't, I don't know that the offenses in the South are as good as the North. So, um, yeah, it, it'll all come to a head eventually. But uh, I stick by my stance that the North is, uh, is superior uh, in eight men. All right. I love it. Well, we will be certainly talking about it over the next – two, three, four, even more weeks than that. So it'll be a ton of fun. Mitch, thank you so much for being here. We got three conference championship games, essentially. We'll call them conference yep. championship games to break down next week. So, uh, you know, we'll meet here same time, same place, and uh, we'll see where it all shakes out and what it looks like heading into week nine. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, like you said, three crowns will be decided and then it'll really shape up a week nine. Uh, that is going to have maybe not conference title implications, but certainly playoff implications, both in terms of qualifying and seeding. Yep. Well, thank you so much to everyone who listens, who downloads, who subscribes, everyone who follows along on Twitter. We really appreciate it. We will see you next week. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.